CEO was great. Daytona, not so much. Multiple reports of racism in the surrounding area have attendees debating their return in coming years to an otherwise stellar event. Plus, our very own Majin Ten Shinhan joins us to talk about bracket seating issues and why he's not as happy as everybody else about Cody in Street Fighter V. Also, 10 camis in Top 32? Is it time for the Nerf Bat to come out yet? This is the Event Hubs Podcast. Perfect! So we are joined by our very own Nicholas Majin Ten Shinhan. I hope I'm, I'm saying that all correctly because he's very particular about his TN um, name pronunciation. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying TN. We'll get to that too. But he's our <laughs> tournament guy. So every time you jump on the site and you see CEO results, Evo results, everything, he's the guy that is there through the entirety of the tournaments, looking over everything, updating everything live. He does an amazing job. We are very lucky to have him. So thank you very much, Nick. And, and you're coming all the way from, uh, from Sweden. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I live in Stockholm. Uh, thanks for having me on, on the podcast, and uh, thanks for all the kind words as well. <laughs> uh, a few things. Nick has a special love for the fighting game community, as we all do. But some things, uh, you know, resonate with him more than others. A few of those things. He's he's been a big Cody fan for a long time, um, and he has some words about Street Fighter V's rendition of Cody. But before we get to that, he's also a pretty close friend with Leffen who's also a Swedish player. And just before CEO took off this weekend, uh, this past weekend, I should say, there was a little bit of controversy regarding brackets and seeding and stuff like that. And Leffen was kind of talking about that on social media, had a little bit of a bone to pick with Jabaley. Um, and so before I, I go too far into it, do you want to kind of introduce that and say, you know, what happened and, and the takeaway from all of that and just kind of let everybody know what's going on in that avenue? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I mean... Uh yeah, Leffen's also Swedish, as a lot of you probably know. We live in the same city. Uh, and we have a lot of mutual friends. We're also friends as well, so uh, we hang out from time to time. And uh, it was like shortly before CEO, we were having lunch, and the topic came up because I'd seen it on his Twitter as well. He was kind of getting into it with Jabaley uh, about the seating uh, for Dragon Ball Fighters at uh, CEO. And I mean, that really started up a conversation on Twitter. A lot of people chimed in. I mean, I saw Armada, I saw Zero. What was the what was the issue he was taking? Right. So uh, I think CEO did seating for sixteen players for Dragon Ball Fighters, and that part was fair enough because the game hasn't been out that long. Going beyond top sixteen is probably just going to skew results. But the problem was the ordering of these sixteen people because there were several key points that he brought up, and he brought up with Jabaley and the bracket managers. First one was that they had Hook Gang God in first, mm. because he wants Because of uh, Summit, and that was summit. the most recent, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, you've had a lot of big tournaments, and it's been Goichi or Sonic Fox that, that have been winning. And then Hook Gang God won once, absolutely, but, I mean, sending him to the first seed immediately because of that is probably not the best idea and they did rectify that they did uh, actually mm -hmm. switch him to third but the other issues were uh, stuff like Chris G being I think eighth or something like that I'm not entirely sure on these numbers uh, so give me a little leeway on that but Chris G was basically lower than his placings have been because he's been top four a lot and then Leffen he was below I think the people he brought up that he's consistently outplaced were Nakiel and Supernoon and he basically brought up these results, you know, and uh, showed them. And they, again, they changed Hook and God, but they said the other uh, changes were without merit. And that's fair enough, it's their event, right? But the thing that kind of escalated from this was, I mean, in a lot of ways, they were kind of, one of these TO guys was kind of making fun of caring about seeding. 
you know. This was somebody on on Jabali's staff for CEO, or I believe so. It wasn't Jabali himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he he was him and Leffen were kind of antagonistic towards each other. I'm not really taking a side in that aspect. I think mm-hmm. they were both uh, probably they they should probably have both been a little calmer while tweeting. Uh, a common problem for Leffen, actually. Um, but um, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I believe it was one of these bracket managers who kind of, like, made light of it. And I know Jabali also said something like, you know, if you want to win, you have to beat everyone, which is the common response sure. when people complain about seeding. And while that's true, what also happens when you... I'm not going to say they messed up seeding, because that's not what I want to say here, but... In events, a reason why seeding is so important is because, first of all, you'll get these really hype matches maybe earlier than they probably should have been, right? right? That's like problem number one. But the thing that happens after that as well is that because the seeding is not entirely accurate, you'll also be giving other players an easier ride than they probably should have, and that will affect seeding for the future because you're going to go on results mm. and you're giving people an easier way to results that maybe aren't entirely reflective. So anytime an event is poorly seeded, that is probably gonna affect the seeding for future events. So you're basically, you know, you're, you're basically spoiling the pot when you're doing that. Yeah, the the effects of this reach out a lot farther than just the immediate, you know, results and such. And you were you were talking before we started recording here a little bit about the importance of seeding um, when when you're a professional player versus kind of when you're a Joe Schmo nobody that either hasn't, you know, got established yet or, or just doesn't have as good of results. Um, do you want to go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, for example, when I go to a tournament, I'm obviously not seeded, right? So I'll have to go up against someone really good in my pool, most likely. And that's obviously fine. I'm not good enough to be seeded, and that's, that's totally legitimate. But once you're a player who starts getting results then seeding is basically everything because you are going to these events to win just like people say when they uh, downplay the importance of seeding but that's kind of the point if you're going there to win then you're not supposed to beat every single good player because that's not how a bracket works out mm-hmm. I mean I mean, everyone has a certain route they have to go having players making it more difficult for players obviously i don't think this is something you do intentionally aiming at a certain player or anything like that but you're basically how do i put this properly <laughs> you're basically making it a lot harder than it should be and yeah well and and they've they've earned it right like like with what they've done before so it's become an expectation and not an unrealistic expectation I, for those that might react to this and go well you know that's someone like leffen just expecting top player privilege like no that's really baked into the equation like when you win when you've proven yourself there are boosts to that and and there are you know you you get something out of that and this is part of that so that for that to be taken away it's 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 a bigger deal than just no oh, it's top player privilege Absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, when Leffen was complaining about this, that's basically the response he got. It was like, oh, you're just complaining because you want to be seated at the top. But I think he was seated 15th or 14th, and he was basically saying, amongst other complaints, that he should be seated like 13th. It's not that big of a difference, mm-hmm. but it's also because the Smash community really have this seating on lock. You know, you, yeah. they have these power rankings that go all around the world all the time, and they, I think they do like sometimes top 128 seating for their tournaments. And it's always disclosed way in advance. They, they're extremely meticulous with this. And although I'm not a super expert on like the Smash scene, from what I've understood, this is something that Smash players have been fighting for to get. 
and it eventually happened. And the general FGC doesn't seem to have actually fought for this at all. So I don't think it's actually happened as much in the FGC. Mm. At the same time, I also think that when you look at Street Fighter V or uh, probably Tekken 7 as well, I don't think it's that big of a problem. I, I haven't looked into the seating that um, closely, but since we have the Pro Tours, I believe they generally seed after those. And I mean, as long as you're doing that, that's really fair enough because that does show accurate results for the current season and being right. seeded out of, from that is fair enough. It's the more difficult when you have such a huge game that Dragon Ball Fighters turned out to be and it's so new, right? So uh, I think that's where this disconnect kind of comes from. Uh, it's a bit too early uh, to really know how to seed things accurately. So what's the takeaway that we should have from here, though? So we, we had CEO, we play, it played out, it was amazing um, on the on the whole scale and also on the Dragon Ball Fighter scale. Um, with Leffen specifically, he ran into Goichi and had what I would argue is the best Dragon Ball Fighter set that we've seen to date, and, you know, everything went really well. Uh, but as far as this whole thing with seeding and, and figuring things out, is there a takeaway that like people could like a lesson to be learned or something to keep in mind going forward? Um, just some kind of positivity that comes out of this little bit of a tension that was leading up to the event? Um, sure. Well, um, first of all, and this is something they did rectify before it even happened. Don't seed for just from the last event mm -hmm. because obviously, I mean, Hook and God's great player. He did well at CEO as well, obviously, but he wasn't fit for first seed. I think we saw that. Yeah. Uh, not not yet. He might be soon. Um, and I also think like when you have because from what I understood, you had players who had been outperformed and beaten in a head-to-head -head contest being placed above other players that that they had been beaten by and placed lower than. And I think you need to really look over all the big events that have been so far, and you need to really be meticulous about how you seed people. Mm -hmm. uh, e even because I think it's common to just look at like the top four and then just go, ah, we'll just put the others together in basically a, a box. Because uh, that's another thing that people do sometimes, tier-based seeding, you know. So you have like a top tier, a high tier, whatever. And that doesn't really work either because, uh, I mean, you can't really seed players like that because it's just going to end up messing up the bracket in the end. So I think just be meticulous about it. I know it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a real hassle. It is, but uh, especially with new games, you kind of have to. Yeah, it's part of the it's part of the job, part of the experience. Um, so moving along from CEO, the, you're uh, you're our tournament guy, so you're all over this kind of stuff. Uh, we have Evo. It, I think it's like a month away now, right? It's it's August third through the fifth, if memory serves me correctly. And yeah. uh, they came out with Evo numbers. Now are those the final numbers for everything. Uh, yeah, they didn't say the actual numbers, though, did they? I think they just said the ranking. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because that is... We got some really interesting stuff embedded in there, I gotta say. Because, first of all, they decided the Sunday finals in advance, which you do almost every year. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely well-placed this time, because out of these five games, uh, the top four are in there. Um, because you have uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, which is number one, Street Fighter Five is number two, Tekken 7 is number three, and Smash Bros. Melee is uh, fourth. And all those are on Sunday Finals. And then you have Guilty Gear Xrd Drive 2, which is actually in seventh, but it's become kind of a mainstay, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, f I think it had a Saturday Finals at one point, but I think this is its fourth or fifth year in a row that it's at EVO, so you know that's a pretty good legacy. Longer mm -hmm. than a lot of games last. So, I, And honestly, I thought that Guilty Gear was going to have more interest than Blaze Blue uh, cross tag battle, despite it being new. Obviously, I was wrong. Uh, I'm assuming Wizard thought the same thing, and uh, if he did, he was also wrong. 
Um, so I guess basically we'll s we'll see how well the cross type battle continues to do. Maybe it'll get a Sunday spot next year if it continues to have this high of an interest because it's looking really high up right now. I think uh, yeah, it actually went above Smash Four, and you know. Smash Melee, Melee and Smash 4 have notoriously been number two and number three mm -hmm. every Evo. With, uh, with, and you might be able to speak to this with a little more understanding than, than I have, but when a, a new game comes out, obviously there's going to be a lot of hype for it, right? Just the initial, the, the new car sent kind of thing going on, and then very quickly tapers off, and you kind of get where the game is going to kind of exist after that new initial spike of hype. And I know that for at least a few events with Dragon Ball Fighters, you know, people sign up for these events a long a long time before the actual event takes place. And with that new wave of hype, sometimes you get a lot more signatures or I'm sorry, signups before um, the event. And then not as many people actually make it to the event. Like they've signed up, but then their initial hype dies and they go away from the game or at least competitively. And so you'll have a lot of ghost places where um, there's just a lot of DQs in the early parts of the brackets because people don't actually sign up. So the numbers are a little bit inflated. And I'm wondering if that's one, something that is still going on with Dragon Ball Fighters. And I don't know if you've seen that or not, um, looking over like Smash GG results and things like that. If you even, you know, see those really, really early parts of the bracket in pools. And then also if you think that that might be part of what's putting um, Blaze Blue, the, the new one, over uh, Guilty Gear. There's always going to be a boost for a new game, uh, absolutely. And uh, you're also right that people will sign up and then they won't show up. But I honestly do not think that's what's going on with Blaze Blue because Wizard kept uh, releasing these rankings, mm -hmm. and uh, Blaze Blue was lower before, and it's increased after oh, release. Interesting. So I actually think that with its release, interest grew because people were skeptical before release. I was very skeptical. Honestly, I I haven't played it yet, so I'm not going to say I'm not skeptical anymore because <laughs> I mean. But uh, people were skeptical for this. You saw it everywhere, especially with the DLC uh, debacle, uh, yes. announcing it before release and everything. But you're, what you're seeing everywhere now, when people talk about it, is that this game is really good, you know? So I think the conversation around Blaze Blue Cross Tie Battle has definitely shifted. Uh, so I think it's actually grown in interest uh, rather than the other way around. So I would be surprised to see a lot of buys at EVO for it. Uh, Dragon Ball, however, you know, maybe, because a lot of the Dragon Ball registration probably happened right after release. Mm -hmm. I, s I mean, I don't think it's enough to say that it would be lower than Street Fighter uh, if we remove the buys. I definitely don't think it's that big of a factor. But, uh, you know, you see the buys sometimes. Um, there were a few people at CEO, you know, they signed up, they didn't show up. I don't think it's... I don't think it's that big of a factor, but what we will we will see that long term, like next year, final round probably, uh, something like that. We'll pro we'll probably see around that point is Dragon Ball doing as well now. Right, and that's gonna lessen and lessen. I remember I. I don't remember off the top of my head exactly which event it was but it was earlier in the year um and the dragon ball pools it was like half of the early pools showed up to actually participate things like that um and and it's gonna it's uh, you know that that number of, of people that signed up versus that show up um being being less that's gonna become less and less of a factor the longer the game's been out right but um and that that was that was like i said months ago so it's gonna be less intense now and and even more so as we progress. But nonetheless, Dragon Ball Fighter is a very popular game, very entertaining to watch. 
Um, and, and of course, it's sitting on the top of a foundational IP that like so many people can get behind. So it makes sense that it would have that kind of uh, attention. And, and, and it's been a really good mark, I think, on the uh, for the FGC, a very nice thing to have alongside Street Fighter V is like a very um, spotlight main stage game. And I think it's been really been doing its job and, and entertaining people on both the uh, audience front and the uh, competitive front. So good on them for, uh, for executing that well. Absolutely. Uh, actually, I just... Uh while we're still on the subject, I just need to uh, also mention it's really huge, regardless of how many people end up showing up or whatever. Uh, just that it actually went above Street Fighter V, because since the release of Street Fighter IV at Evo, I don't think any game has been above Street Fighter IV or V, uh, and now we have that happening for the first time. And not only that, it's a brand new IP, right? So that is a really big deal, and that's why I'm I've been waiting. Like, in our work chats, I've been saying for months, I just want to see the final numbers. I want to know, is it like neck and neck? Or is Dragon Ball way ahead? Like, I really want to know. I also want to know what's Tekken at, because it's above both Smash games. And that's also huge. Oh, man, this is this is going to be exciting, yeah, when those final numbers do come out and, and what that's going to say about like our constantly moving and evolving scene and such. But interesting stuff. So, so we'll keep a, an eye glued to that, I guess, to Wizards Twitter. And um, and of course, we'll I'm sure we'll post about it the minute the uh, final numbers come out up, up on Event Hubs. Things that you don't feel like were executed as well. Cody, Street Fighter V. A lot of people have had a lot of positive things to say about him from his initial reveal trailer with Kenny Omega to his gameplay and such. Maybe a little bit of hesitation when it comes to the, the animations and, and his visual design, but there's also been a lot of positivity when people talk about what he looks like. But you, being a longtime Cody fan, and I won't make the mistake of saying he's your favorite character as I have done in the past, you being a longtime Cody fan, he's not your favorite addition to Street Fighter V. Why not? All right, so let's just ignore the animation part because I think animations have gone down across the border since season three started. I think that's fairly fair to say. It, I wouldn't necessarily say they're bad, but like when you compare to season two characters, it's a bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. But looking at Cody in Street Fighter V, I agree that the trailer, the release trailer, was really good because his uh, new theme song, the remix, is amazing. Uh, his visual design is great. And Kenny Omega, you know, that was that was great. Nice that touch, was yeah. an amazing addition, yeah. But as first when I saw the trailer, I was concerned that I saw very few of his moves from uh, Street Fighter games. A lot of people have been saying, you know, oh, they took more inspiration from Final Fight. But mm-hmm. I mean, I played a lot of Final Fight, and I don't really see Final Fight in those moves. He's I got, mean, he's he got has, the target combo right, where his yeah, like, traditional yeah. punch, 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 and then he's got the uh, basically the Tatsu right in place where he goes straight sure. up, and it's the it's his like special, um, and then the pipe and the knife. Exactly, I was just gonna say you can also attribute the V triggers to that. So you got the target combo. I think that is nice enough, but I also think it's kind of boring that it's just four light punches in a row. I would prefer if they did it more like guys where from Street Fighter Four, uh, where you had a little bit. I mean, it's not a big difference because of target combo, but you know, a little bit of variety and not just mashing the same button. Sure. I think his V-Skill is interesting. It's going to take some time to figure out if it's actually good or not, but I think it's interesting that they gave him that back. I think it's a pretty smart idea, uh, so I don't really have any op- um, objections to that. But you look at all his normals, and you can just see like none of these are like Cody's old normals, even in... Um, Alpha? Yeah, like in Alpha or in uh, Street Fighter 4. Because when you look at Sakura, for example, uh, her normals are pretty different in how they function, but a lot of them are similar in how they look. 
right? Mm -hmm. So you still have this feeling of familiarity, but when you pick Cody, you're just not, this isn't Cody, you know? <laughs> That's uh, like fundamentally the thing about him. And I know John uh, Catalyst uh, has been saying a lot, like, I think Cody might be a really good sonar in this game. And, you know, maybe he is, but that's not really what Cody has ever been before, right? So, yeah, you want him up in your face in a brawler and a frame trap monster, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing, because a lot of people have been saying before Cody was revealed, you know, oh, Cody would be perfect for Street Fighter V. He was already playing Street Fighter V and Street Fighter Four. Which I didn't necessarily agree with entirely, but then you have them basically removing his entire Street Fighter 4 moveset, and uh, it's like, everyone was excited about getting Cody in Street Fighter 5, then he comes Street Fighter 5, he's not Cody anymore, and people are kind of okay with it, and you know, that's fair enough, but I really feel the same pain that Jury Mains felt back in Season 1, right now. Hmm. <laughs> because I just look at the character, you know, I love the character, I love his voice lines, I love his attitude, I love his visuals, I love his song, but... I just cannot play the character. I just have no interest at all in playing it. I just, I just get disappointed just looking at him. It's so unfortunate. I'm sorry that we waited all this time for Cody, and now he's out, and and it's it's not your favorite. As long as people like him, you know, that's fair enough. I mean, he's still the same character. I can hopefully enjoy watching Momochi play him, assuming Momochi sticks with him. Meanwhile, I'll uh, I'll I'll keep practicing Ibuki, I guess. Fair enough. Well, uh, as we saw with uh, CEO, she actually can get the job done uh, <laughs> very well. So um, I, I don't think that uh, you'll have too many issues there. Um, but I think that pretty much wraps up our time. So thank you so much, Nicholas Majintenshinhan Taylor, for uh, for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, well, I think based on today's performance, we'll we'll absolutely invite you back next time we have stuff to talk about. <laughs> so thank you. Nice. Thank you so much for having me. Um, looking forward to next time. And uh, yeah, uh, hope you and uh, Catalyst have a good talk. Much appreciated. All right, and then switching gears just a little bit, I think we're still going to be talking about CEO, but at a much different capacity than we were just a moment ago. Um, El Presidente is also here to join me. Uh, so, John, want to introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, I'm John Catalyst Grace, and yep. That's me. <laughs> so CEO, one of the biggest tournaments of the fighting game year, uh, took place just last weekend, as we're all well aware at this point. And there was a big movement from the traditional space that it's been in for, as far as I can remember, in Orlando. They had to kind of upgrade it, well, upgrade as far as uh, size goes, and go over to Daytona, right off the beach. Um, it, was a, it was a big deal when they announced it last year. It's like, you know, we've leveled up. We're, we're, we're too big for the venue that we're at now. Um, and we're going over to, to Daytona. And when people got there, they had nothing but good things to say about the event itself. But the area that it was uh, in, the, the Daytona area, maybe the beach and the venue were great, but if you ventured away, as many players do for, for you know the nightlife or for some food or whatever, just to get an idea of the city, there was a lot of negativity that was going on. Um, people were reporting via social media that the area was not as nice. There was a lot of racism, a lot of... Uh, of up and down looks from from the locals there and it was uh, very much not it didn't it wasn't a safe atmosphere and a lot of players had a lot of issue with that so wanted to talk about that a little bit today um because ceos are and i do want to i do want to jump in and say um we're saying that a lot of the players that we saw like it could have been a very small you know percentage of the population we don't know for sure how many people ran into this or not you know, it's it's that kind of thing where we're seeing it on social media and a lot of people are talking about it, but it's relative. We don't know how many, you know, actually ran across it. Right. So. You know, and, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the entire Event Hub's team on how, you know, we would want to kind of 
if we wanted to tackle this at all and talk about it or whatnot. And I personally, I had not seen anything where people said anything beyond there were some racist people. I didn't have any um, concrete examples of someone saying like this instance happened where this person did this thing. Um, but but sure enough, there were situations like that. And um, so I'm looking over around Twitter right now. There's uh, Silver Rye. He commented, and he actually collected, I think, a couple of different people's responses, but he says, CEO was a great experience, but this is probably the most racist place I've ever been to in my life. Had a white guy throw a cup of ice at me and my friends as he drove by. Another was talking about the KKK rocking Confederate flags, people staring at us up and down. Um, uh, another one from Ragnarok. Uh, FGC. I heard about this and a few other similar stories. Had a black couple at night warn me about the police in the area. Lost count of all the Confederate flag themed clothing displayed. Didn't have this problem in Orlando. Venue was great. City, not so much. Um, and then a faceless man says, Daytona has to have the most crackheads per square block that I've ever seen in a city. This is coming from a dude who lived in some sketch areas of Brooklyn. And that's just three examples of, of what there are plenty more just going around the FGC social media. So um, not the uh, not the greatest of places to have an event. Yeah, it's and I know Jabaley jumped on there too. I, I was wondering if you actually have his quote where he said basically he you know this is not something and and we know Jabaley. He's one of the best TOs in the you know the entire community. Uh, there's a handful of people just like him where they pretty much go above and beyond every single event to try to make sure people are having a good experience. And just to contrast this a little bit. Sherry Jennings posted on Twitter as well and just talked about the security at the event, how it was like really nice. They were like escorting her to like, you know, her car elevator or hotel room or whatever. Like they were like super nice, like going out of their way to make sure that she was taken care of and safe and all that. And I mean, so that's at the the venue proper, which everyone is kind of raving about at the event itself. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we just want to stress here that uh, the example I give to the Event Hubs team is like, basically, I don't know how you kind of plan for this or, or anticipate it happening because it's kind of like one of those things like holy crap like there's a lot of crap going down here right now mm -hmm. like I didn't realize this was going to happen and now like you pretty much like it's a reactionary thing it's like okay well now that we know like what do we do and it seemed like Jabaley kind of had remarks about that online yeah so I have them right here these are three tweets that he posted after a lot of this um, and it's from about about a day ago and he says when I searched for a new venue in 2017, the Ocean Center was the only one that met CEO 2018's Big Dreams checklist. We signed a multi-year deal to make it fit our budget. I think we met uh, our event needs, but the surrounding area has not. I'm not taking this lightly. So then right off the bat there, you go, well, here's a problem because, um, you know, like you said, people are not upset about CEO, about the venue itself. They're upset about the surrounding area. Uh, but I think the expectation here is for Jabali to move to a different venue next year because, you know, to a better area. And we see right here, well, <laughs> I, it's a multi-year contract. Um, he goes on to say, I plan to meet with the city to see what can be done to help ensure CEO's attendees are provided a sense of security that they expect from CEO, both inside and outside the venue. I don't have answers today, but I'm listening and willing to try anything I can to make CEO perfect. And then he says, I do know that when I first spoke with the city and was made aware of all their cool future plans to make Daytona a hotspot again, I really felt this place would be perfect for many years. If I have to run for mayor and clean certain places up, I'd do it myself, which perfectly aligns <laughs> with uh, Cody just being released and cleaning up Metro yeah. City, right? So, yeah, a, a problem for, for one of the FGC's most beloved TOs um, as, as he basically has this spot 
right? And and he's he's got some kind of a contract for more than one year, probably more than a couple. And um, he's got to deal with this now. And it's like, well, if he has it again here next year, he it, it feels like he really is at the mercy of just like the surrounding area. And and if you're going through this like kind of like I don't know gentrification kind of a thing to to kind of clean things up and make it a little more, um, you know, kind to the to the people that are that are visiting. Uh, that's going to take some time. And and it's yeah. a lot of this stuff, at least from where I'm sitting, it seems like it's really out of the hands of people like Jabali. I mean, obviously, I don't think he's going to become the mayor and, and clean up the town and such. <laughs> but like, short of doing that, what else can you do as far as this, well, you know, scenario? Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, if it was me, like stuff I would do is like kind of make like a CEO circuit, you know, where it's like, okay, these are our approved hotels, eateries, other things like that. Like I've talked to all the people here. They're on the level. You guys should not experience any kind of crap if you go to these places. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, kind of stay in this area, this kind of thing. Like if you go outside this region, like maybe we don't know. And, you know, just kind of like maybe shuttles, you know, and other stuff like that. Like you provide people with as much comfort as you can and kind of like the spots to go to. And it kind of sucks to have to do that. It's like it's nice to explore an area, but at the same time, like if you're afraid of running into that stuff, it's also nice to know where not to go and, and kind of like where all, you know, the best eateries are at, all that kind of stuff. Like, and, and usually those people will sign up and, and you know, they, uh, Jabali got, you know, uh, his like chicken image and all that kind of stuff yeah. going on there. Like, I mean, so he can, he's, he's very familiar with working deals like this. And I think he could find some, some ways of, you know, hopefully kind of appeasing the attendees next year. And I think that, that's a start at least. And, and hopefully that's feasible as well. You know, I, and I, I don't, I think that that's the that's the really the only kind of thing that you can do. Um, and they said that the beach outside was very nice as well. And then you saw a bunch of um, pictures people taking of like from their hotel rooms right out onto the ocean and such. So it's like the venue and the beach is good. But like I still, especially in the current social climate that we're in, and and the way people will talk about things on social media. If it if so, say we we fast forward to just before CEO next year, and it is indeed at Daytona. Essentially, with that plan, it's like, all right, guys. So here are like essentially the safe zones. But like, if you're not white, don't go out of this area. It does not yeah. sound like a very appealing yeah. kind of thing. And yeah. you better believe that social media is going to be like, hey, this is the no black area zones. Don't go here. And then and then with that kind of publicity with with people talking about it like that it's there's no way that that's not going to make you know take a hit on ceo's numbers and and so right. it's like it, I'll, I'll jump in here and just say one you never label stuff that way you know kind of thing you just you have kind of like an approved like circuit that you go with but oh yeah i'm male, saying like yeah. like social yeah, media I know what people will say. That. yeah and it, i mean again if people are going to say that they're going to say that but i mean as a white male like if if i know that there's a bunch of racist crap and like confederate stuff and going on and like I don't want anywhere near that. Like that's that's gonna disgust me. Like, and and I mean, I'd want to know that anyway. I don't care, you know what? Yeah, I as my own skin color kind of thing. It's like that's just something I'm like, hey, I want to go and like be with my FGC people. I want to go and enjoy. Like the FGC, there's not a lot of this crap that goes on in our community. It does happen, but there's not a lot of it. We're very accepting uh, of most people and most walks of life. Like it's you kind of have to go out of your way to really get people pissed off at you, kind of as a group, and like really hate you and whatnot. Uh, I could name names of a few websites, but I won't know <laughs> at this one time. But people probably know who I'm talking about now, just right off that bat. But uh, anyway, it's the FGC is pretty darn accepting. So I mean, I get it. I get people would run and kind of you know troll with it, be like, oh, you know, this is you know, you know, and whatnot. It's like, yeah, like you know, just kind of don't label it that way. Make sure you you know just say, hey, like this is they're like FGC approved, basically. Like you know that they're going to be accepting of all people, all walks of life, and, and like they're cool. You know, they're on the level. Type. 
type thing. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out come this time next year when CEO is happening again. Um, but but I really do wonder if this will be a little bit of a blip in the radar and the success of CEO as an event because it was a very successful event. There are a little a few little issues and we'll get into those later um, with the tournament itself. But considering how big it was, considering the reputation it has and the chances that it takes going out and doing like these these pro wrestling things and there's like a CEO slash and um, New Japan wrestling uh, thing going on like all of this stuff. It's very very entertaining um, from just about every angle but will that overshadow you know this this little blip of like hey there there's an issue with the area that we're in um just in the surrounding parts it's like what's going to win out next year when when it comes time to register for this event when people are considering going you know because you still have to take that uber ride from the airport Mm -hmm. i mean unless i guess you mentioned maybe the possibility of shuttles and i don't we don't know like the situation how far it is and everything like that because i haven't been to this venue but it's it's going to be a real thing and it'll be interesting to see how one the fgc responds to it to how jabali goes about um taking care of all of this and and such and, and yeah but but um, we'll, uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled and hopefully the, what's best for the FGC happens and, and that you know, we want to see an event as big as CEO continue to flourish because it's one of the, uh, one of the you know, torchbearers for the FGC as we move forward in bigger and better events. So one of the things that, that came up at CEO, to switch gears here a little bit, is uh, Cami. <laughs> uh, I've been calling it a Cami-thon uh, just because I, we saw 10 of her and the top 64 is Street Fighter V. And I think the character has kind of gone from like, hey, let's wait and see what happens with a character like, yeah, Capcom buffed her further. Uh, I was kind of infamous among our, our Event Hubs team here by saying Cammy might have stealth been the number one character in 3.0 uh, above all other characters. I'm like, she's actually really good. And then, you know, Knuckle Dew started using her like even before 3.5. And I'm like, this character has like so many options and she doesn't really have like very many weaknesses. It's like she kind of does whatever she wants to and and so but looking at CEO and looking at how many people picked her and just kind of how dominant that character was I actually wanted to get into with Capcom recently being more familiar or more open to adjusting the game I should say like we saw Akuma with a standing medium kick get nerfed from negative two on block to negative four on block I wanted to, to, to kind of discuss with you a few tweaks I'd like to see with the character and one of the main things that, that's jumped out to me is I, I thought initially just about, you know, reducing her damage, uh, particularly for one of her, her main combos into super. And one of the things I'd like to see is actually her dragon punch reduced down to um, 120 damage down to 110. And that will kind of hurt like her overall combo ability, but it's not going to like, or her combo damage, I should say, it's not going to completely weaken the character. She's still going to do massive amounts of damage when she hits you with stuff, but it just, it takes a little bit of an edge off of that. And then one of the other things that stood out to me uh, with the character is basically I'd like her standing medium punch reduced from negative or plus three on block to uh, plus two on block. And it's just, man, when she locks you down with that move, it's you're really in a hard spot. And this basically means that, hey, all of her combos stay the same. It's still the same plus on hit, all that kind of stuff. It's just when she's locking you down on block stun, it's a little bit less oppressive. And that's kind of where I'd like to see the character go. It's not going to it's not gonna make her a night and day different character. She's still going to be very, very good. But it just it, it drops her power down a little bit. You know, she's a character that seems to flourish no matter where she is on the screen. She has a tool for for virtually every situation and I think that when you when you say like a character's main weakness is their low health in fighting games, 
um, and that's all you can account for as far as weaknesses go, then they're a stupid good character. And, and like, you know, you look back at, like, Yun or Akuma in Street Fighter Four, and it's like, well, what was their weakness? Well, they didn't have great health. It's like, yeah, yeah. and they won. Tiger! Like, they won a lot of stuff. So, like, I, I, I feel that Kami is... Like, she's a character that has great buttons and can play footsies, and she doesn't have to. She can go to the air at any time that she wants. Not only does she have a dive kick, but it's a dive kick that if it hits you, great, combo. If it doesn't hit you, like, she can cut short um, and then make your DP, your anti-air whiff, into a crush counter combo for all of your, well, for a good chunk of your life, right? And and she has basically air mix-ups where she can approach you, and then you have to hesitate because... If you choose the wrong thing, you're dead. If she chooses the wrong thing, at worst, she's getting DP'd as an anti-air. It's like, that that's good, like, for you, but it's certainly not... If you look at the risk-reward there, she can go up in the air with that um, dive kick and then cut it short, make you whiff, or she can go at you, and if you if you eat it, you're getting hit with a full combo. If you block it, a lot of times she's not only, like, safe but plus, and she still has a turn, and she's in your face. And, like you were just saying, she's got amazing frame traps. Um, and then again, buttons on the ground. Her reach is, is very good with her, like, standing light kick and, and her crouching uh, heavy punch, and then... Um, so, so, and then defensively, she's got a, a V reversal that switches sides and gets her out of the corner a lot of times. And she's got a, an invincible uh, DP. So, uh, this character, it's like you're never comfortable. There's never a spot where you're like, okay, fine, I can breathe, I can control. It's like, nope, you just, I mean, you got to get on her and maul her and kill her. And it's like, it's not to say that people don't beat Cammy, right? She didn't even win CEO, she got second place. Um, but, she just has so many tools. And so if I personally were to tweak anything about her, I don't want to see uh, nerf them into the ground approach. And we kind of saw that with like Abigail and Rashid and, and we saw that and, and, and they didn't get nerfed into the ground, but they got a long list of tweaks um, not in their favor. And, they're, and they're we saw that with really good too. <laughs> they're still, yeah, they're yeah, still yeah. winning left and right. Even though they got nerfed in the, the proverbial ground. It's like, yeah, those characters mm-hmm. were broken stupid good and my apologies to mains of abigail and to rashid but guess what your character was broken stupid good and and yeah. he need, they both needed every nerf that they got um and they're both still winning tournaments but yeah anyway continue please yeah and and then you can you can harken back to uh chun and ryu in season one being like the best characters mm-hmm. and then becoming like worthless in season yeah. two so i don't want to see that uh and if we saw just one change to cami I would make it so that her dive kick, if she if she goes at you and commits to it and comes down, that it's not like that it's no longer her turn. Mm. That's what I would want to see. So it's like all that I just laid out about her being able to manipulate the air so well. It's like okay, you can have that, fine, whatever. But if you come at me and I read the block at least right, then it's hundred percent my turn. You can't push a button without risking like a, a you know an exdp something like that. Because at this point. I, I'm punished for doing anything, mm-hmm. and and even the thing that I if I try to do it and I do the right thing, it's st- like like the answer is jump back jab. Like that's the safe answer that you go to because you might hit her out of the dive kick, but you're you're not risking getting locked down or getting hit, but you're still giving up a ton of real estate. And if Cami corners you, well, <laughs> that's its own nightmare. So uh, what I would I, say I, is I just want to be clear on this one too. You're, you're talking about nerfing her dive kick, but which version of her dive kick are you talking about nerfing? I don't want anything coming out of the air. I guess out of hooligan, but like. Anything coming out of the air where where she can cut it short or come at me and it's like, 
I, I, I mean, I guess are you saying like light or medium or heavy or or just yeah. like jump die kick versus EX or the V V trigger version or any of any, them, oh, any wow. of them okay. that when when she's coming out of the air, like she should have to make a choice, mm-hmm. right? And if she does that, it's like, well, okay, you did that. If you hit me, good, you get your combo. But if you don't hit me, if I like if I block it or deal with it, then um, then you shouldn't have a turn anymore hmm. because I already had to make a big decision in order to avoid getting hit by this and not DPing and and then I mean if she's doing hooligan she can not do the dive kick and she can grab you or she can go low which is rare to see but the point is she has so many options hmm. and all of them lead to to big time pain for you um, most of the time so it's like she's great on the ground she's great in the air uh, make it so that if I if I at least if I make the right call and block something that she doesn't then just like my reward for blocking is now I'm under cami pressure and she's plus hmm. It's like, that doesn't make sense to me. So that's interesting. I didn't know you were going to go there with this change. And, and to me, on the surface of hearing you talk that, about that, actually feels like it would fundamentally change how Cami is played. Because a lot of times she's approaching you from the air. It's basically like Cami's kind of waiting in neutral and she's waiting for you to commit to a button. And then she's going to cannon strike you, basically, you know, do her dive kick. And and then that's how she's going to get in. Like, she'll approach from the ground a few times. But she's pretty much like, again, most of Cami's like, I see it's like, look, I'm just waiting for you to do something dumb so I can get in on you via the air and and to to limit that to make it not her turn anymore would be very interesting to me like do you feel that would fundamentally change her balance a lot or do you feel that it would be something that actually wouldn't be that big of a change i think that it would it would lower her a little bit yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be just this free thing Mm -hmm. you know where where it goes from hope this works but if it doesn't i'm in and i'm getting pressure on you and i'm and i'm doing frame traps now Mm -hmm. and and so, like, that's that's terrifying. So you're like, well, I'm going to be ready to anti-air. But then she can just cut it short, and then you anti-air into a whiff, and then she destroys you for whiffing a DP. It's just, it, it's it's terrible on all fronts. Plus, she's got, you know, little other things that, little bells and whistles, like a three-frame super, and and <laughs> the bug where she if she hits you with EX um, hooligan grab, she still builds meter, things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not, again, it's not to say that the character is unbeatable, mm-hmm. but seeing 10 of her in the top 64 at CEO, it was something that even like Ultra David pointed out when we were getting ready to watch top eight, seeing Xiao Hai, who is an amazing player um, and, and spends a lot of his time playing other games as well. He was like 90th on the CPT leaderboards before CEO. He grabbed Cami and um, I assume practiced with her a little bit to like level back up to Xiao Hai status and then went from this guy that really hasn't been performing, getting like maybe top 32, maybe at any event that he would, you know, go to, um, and then this year, and then suddenly going to Winterside Grand Finals with this character, um, to make that jump that quickly, it's like, sure, Shaohai as a player is capable of that, but I think it's also kind of telling. Um, y- you have uh, CJ Truth, a very good player also, but you don't talk about him in the same you know, rings as Tokido, and he eliminated Tokido with Kami, and you go, okay, well, not to take away too much from CJ Truth, but the fact of the matter is, he did beat Tokido with Kami, that's something to at least bring up, um, things like this, it's yeah. like, the one character... Of, one of the characters I would, per, or players I would personally bring up is actually uh, Knuckledew, uh, one of my favorite players, actually, um, mm-hmm. he went from not playing Kami at all, to all of a sudden, hey, guess what, I've got a pocket Kami that I'm randomly busting out in tournament, and... Well, he did that at C or at NCR, which was just before the patch was revealed yes. and, and i mean again i i think she was stealth the number one character in that game uh i yeah. mean even back then and again they they nerfed everyone else and buffed her you know kind of thing except for Manat, which is a whole different story for a diff- 
different time. But um, hmm. yeah, it, it, Knuckle Dew is pretty damn incredible. Uh, he he really plays a player and not so much you know the matchup. He is so fundamentally like different than a lot of other players in terms of just how he approaches things but to me that was very telling when like hey all of a sudden I've got a cami now that you know I've been playing Mika and Guile since Street Fighter 5 came out and those were my two characters and now hey guess what I'm also playing cami you know and I know he dabbled with some other characters as well uh, he always has but I mean now Cammy's like a regular like staple of his lineup and, and that to me is just kind of like ooh, like and again you're seeing a lot of players migrate to this character for good reason. And, and that would be the basis for me uh, of saying like, you know, hey, this character is probably a little bit too strong. Let's like knock her down just a, like a peg and see where she ends up at a little bit more. Uh, but I, I will go back to this. Like it's an article that we ran not that long ago. And we said that that Street Fighter V AE 3.5 is like in a really good spot. Let's see where it goes. Why have things changed so much for, for us in that span of time? So what I would say to that is um, I'm still widely happy with it, right? And, and like, again, Cammy's not breaking the game. But if we were to clean things up a, a little bit, what we've seen from her thus far, and, like, how much, if you play online, you run into Cammy's constantly. Yep. Um, of course, a varying skill and such. But she's a character that's, it, I, I think it's it's pretty clear that she's she's one of the best I think Japan thinks that Akuma is still the best, and, and that's its own debate. But, like, the tools that she has, when you just look at them, you see how they're employed, and 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 you see how so many players are using her and, and, and doing so well with her, you go, like, it makes sense to, like, tone her down a little bit. And, and the biggest tell for me is that, especially when these um, balance patches are announced and people look at Cami and they say, well, she didn't get nerfed and she actually got a little bit of a buff. And it's happened like three times in a row mm -hmm. now where like Brent and I will, will <laughs> usually this will happen like close to majors and stuff. And we'll go like, we'll find Alex Myers and congratulate him <laughs> on somehow again, dodging the uh, yeah. the nerf bat, you know, and like congrats. And, and even he will be like, he'll just sh shrug his shoulders and like, apologetically be like I'm sorry yeah. guys like, you're right like and and I think that that's kind of telling or, or an echo of how most cami players feel they're like we'll absolutely take these buffs but this is hilariously unfair yeah. guys and and even if so so like the people that play a character as we know in the FGC will absolutely go to bat for their character forever no matter how good the character is it's like they'll be like yeah no they need it for whatever you know and and everybody else is broken and their character is 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 the worst right but i think that even cami players right now I, i've never seen someone go oh man like yeah she should be bu like buffed more or that like yeah she deserved these buffs and and like people bring up the idea of like if she got nerfs no one's saying, oh, no, she shouldn't get nerfs. Like, even Cami players are saying, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense. Like, come on, guys, this is this is getting ridiculous. Like, <laughs> so uh, considering what the FGC tends to be like and considering that I, I, I'm hard-pressed to find a Cami player that thinks that she shouldn't be nerfed uh, at least a little bit um, is, is pretty telling of the situation to yeah. me. And so when you have that, it's like, well, it's pretty obvious that she could use just a little one, just yeah. a little tweak or something like that to keep the people happy. But I think that it's it's well-deserved at this yeah, point. I, and I'm very much adamant, like, I don't want to see major balance changes in the middle of the Capcom Pro Tour season. I think it's a really poor idea, uh, not just because I'm a, I'm a not name main, I, you know, <laughs> it's uh, I'm actually fine with the character. Yeah, your standing yeah. heavy punches days are no Ooh, <laughs> I, I honestly agree with that. I, I don't know, like, it's so hard on this end of the fence now, you know, to say, like, okay, well, yeah, totally do that. Like, I don't know what the best part to alter about Monot is. 
is. And it's definitely a discussion for another day, I think. But again, you, you see characters like Fong and Vega and Ryu and you go like, why are you keeping a character like Kami intact? who you know is really good. And, and, and you're taking characters like Jury. I, I remember Jury got nerfed and like Infiltration is like, sorry guys, that was my fault. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, like what are you looking at Capcom Like when you're doing this? It's like, how how do you get from point A to point B and conclude that, yeah, Jury's a problem. Let's nerf that girl. You know, kind of thing. And she's got nerfed twice in a row. Like it was in, I think the start of season three um, or 2.5 or something like that. Like they nerfed her anti-air jab and I get it. You were universally trying to nerf that, but that's not a good character of like by most people's, you know, assessment of it. Like she's mid tier, like maybe at best and, and you're knocking her down and it's like, but you're giving Cammy more and you're giving Manat more. Manat did not need more. She should not have gotten more. Let me be very, very clear about that. Uh, she was a very good character before 3.5 hit and her buffs weren't like substantial, like, oh man, she got so much, you know, type stuff. But it was like, what are you doing giving her more tools on? On top of everything it's like don't don't do that you know I, I don't understand what you're doing at that point in time so yeah and I'm all about even if it's a low tier character and they have something that makes the game not fun or something that shouldn't be there uh, or whatever that instance may be in this case it's like jury's anti or jab sure get rid of it but you also very much need to do something to make that character better and if you're taking something away from them then all the more you know and so it's like I, I mean, I'm not going to even begin to discuss like how Capcom's thought process in, in a lot of these changes goes because I can't understand that. Um, sometimes it's good, but but there are so many instances where it's not. But yeah, you were saying so. I, I can actually I can clue you into this. I spoke with a former Capcom employee. We'll we'll just keep this person anonymous and and spoke a little bit about the balancing process that happens behind these games. And um, I'm going to protect the the names of the characters involved and things like that because the timeline's really easy to figure out maybe who I talked to if I did. So I'm going to keep this really anonymous and whatnot. And we're just going to we're going to use like an alpha three character of uh, Sodom. There we go. We'll use Sodom. So basically, let's say Capcom was reba- rebalancing Sodom in an alpha three and he goes through multiple iterations of balance. So in, in one version, let's say version, you know, release candidate A uh, that's coming up and it's going to be released in two or three months, like Sodom might be the number one character in the entire game. And they're like, okay, like we like what we've done. He's very fun. He's got a bunch of new command grabs. He's got all this kind of stuff. Like he's looking really good, but he's probably too good. So let's knock him down. And so version B of Sodom might be actually way too weak, but he's got those fun new tools. They're just not as good anymore. And so then you end up like, you know, against a couple more months go by and you get version C, which is actually the version that gets in players' hands. And they've brought his power level back up and they've given him new tools, but he's the power level isn't what it should have been and he actually ends up being worse in the long run. And this is actually like a real story that happened with a real character in one of the past games um, that was explained to me. And it's, there's a lot more than going on. Like, it's just not one version of changes like we see, you know, like, hey, these are the, you know, Capcom had these like list of changes she, they give to Cami, And that was all that, that they did. You know, they only did that. Like, it's like, no, they're, they're changing things like constantly behind the scenes and trying them out and trying to do d- different things with them. And then sometimes in that process, like, you know, they run out of time or they, they think something is stronger or weaker than it is and it gets out there. And yeah. I mean, I don't know, but they're still going through this where the game's been live and they're doing these balance updates and they still continue to buff Cammy yeah. and nerf Jury. Like, I don't understand those those kinds of moves. I, it, so. I, I think what happened with Cammy, and I, I kind of saw it in the patch notes, is basically 
every character that got a nerf, Capcom tried to give them something else to make up for that. And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what nerfs Cammy got in version 3.5. I, I don't think there were anything substantial. Obviously, they were not because most you know people felt that the uh, the character basically was just kind of overall better. Uh, but yeah, they, they generally try to balance it out like, hey, we took something away. We're going to give you something back now to make up for it. Yeah. Well, so to kind of round this out, at least from my point of view, if Cammy didn't get changed, if the game stayed where it's at, I wouldn't be super upset. Yeah. I do think that I, I do stand by that Cammy may very well be the best. Um, but even if she is, she's not so far ahead of the rest of the pack that it makes the game unfun to play. It can be frustrating from time to time. But like then again, you're going to have a top tier and they're going to have more tools than everybody else. I think that with what we understand about fighting games and what we're seeing from Cammy right now, it wouldn't be very hard to tweak her a little bit to, to refine the uh, the game just a little bit to make it a little more fun. And that's possible and, and fairly easy to do with like a small change. Um, but if, if it, if it didn't get changed again, I would still be like, okay, I'm still going to play five. It's, it's not game breaking. It could just be a little bit better. So I still think that this is the best balanced, uh, iteration of the game thus far I'm still pretty happy to play it um, they could just clean it up a little bit but they don't have to it's not like we're not we're not in like it's going to kill SF5 kind of mode to me we're kind of in a new era of fighting game balance from Capcom and the Akuma change that they, they put in there that is uh, it's gigantic and it's relativity to when they did it and how they did it. That's a pretty significant, uh, you know, debuff for Akuma. That that really alters some of his game plan and makes him a worse character. And it's like, okay, if you're going to open up that that possibility, let's kind of tweak some of these other top tier characters without gigantically changing them now. You know, that's and uh, so I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying like, yeah, let's let's you know keep the game pretty much intact. It's a pretty damn good game, uh, even in the story that we did with the the listing of like what characters are you know are popular or whatnot there's good character diversity there you're not seeing a lot of people like alex or you know actually saw quite a few fong players um but you're not seeing people like alex and a few others in there and that's all right you know you're going to have characters like that it's not too dominated one side or the other but i would just like to see him tweak it just a bit more but uh but yeah i think we've, we've kind of ran the subject into the ground and and there was some other amazing stuff that happened at ceo uh amazing maybe relative to like your point of view on this one but i'll just say that japan bodying the us and dragon ball fighters was pretty damn impressive for for the players over there that they yeah. did yeah top 8 was uh four four japanese and four americans if yes, uh if i'm correct. recalling correctly and each it was a it was a country versus country match for each of the first round of top eight. Japan won all of those, and then uh, the next two eff- effectively like six owing America in grand in uh, top eight of Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah, that was embarrassing. <laughs> and again, no offense to any of the players involved, they're a hell of a lot better than I am. And the U.S. and Japan have been really going back and forth in Dragon Ball Fighters, pretty much since the game came out, uh, and other regions too. You know, it's uh, um, obviously Leffen's doing great from Sweden. Uh, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the overseas players uh, in Dragon Ball Fighters. I mostly know the U.S. and Japanese players, uh, but there are a lot of people putting in great amounts of work into this game, and it's it's man, it's taking off. It's so incredibly hype. Uh, speaking of actually one of those sets, uh, Leffen versus Goichi. That was best best Dragon Ball Fighter set. I was talking with Nick yeah. about it earlier. Best. Set I've seen, I think, thus yeah. far in Dragon Ball. It Fighter. was incredible. And, and they've had a few of these. I'm, I'm trying to remember the other event. Maybe it was a final round or something where uh, it, it, it just, I 
you get the right commentary people behind it. You get the right people going, and it's just it's that the hype levels of that game are just so incredible. And and like we're just in the game's infancy. This thing came out in January, and it's like all the people are still like flocking to this game. And it just I'm so happy to see it. Uh, I I love Namco Bandai and Arxis, like what they've done with this game uh, mechanically. I think it's a brilliantly organized game. Just the way that sparking works, the way that meters work, like you can really like. It's not just like Marvel vs. Capcom, where you're you're in a Marvel vs. Capcom three, I should say, where you're waiting for kind of the very end to activate X Factor in most cases, and then make a crazy you know comeback and whatnot. That's there and is a completely viable strategy, but it's also viable to use this in the middle or start of a match. And and the way you manage stuff, and it was uh it was Apology Man of all players. He was trying to uh, he was opening up someone with uh, uh, Piccolo. You know, like constantly, but he didn't have any meter to do anything. <laughs> like he opened up another player like five or six times, and he's like, "I don't have any meter, so I'm doing you know twenty percent damage, and now I've got to do it again." And it's like, ah, and just seeing the 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 juggling act going on there, man. I'm I'm so hype about this game. I'm actually happy to see Japan like kind of you know I we're you know we follow Street Fighter Five very closely. Japan doing well in fighting games is nothing new to us. You know, That's yeah, not new, not, so. not new at all. Uh, but um, but seeing them do this and kind of just like you know put their stamp and say like. Hey, you know, you know, take that, you know, kind of thing. Like, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like, you know, it's 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 great to have that rivalry. It's great to have people tuning in and be like, "Damn!" Like, you know, I wonder what's going to happen next. Versus when it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Unfortunately, kind of like how it is right now in Street Fighter Five. It's like you kind of expect players from the Asia region to kind of dominate. You know, and it it's it's kind of been that way for a little while now. And it's, uh, I, I think top eight had a phenom and, and knuckle do in it. And I think those are the only Western players out there. And again, I mean, it kind of goes back to, to, well, and the Dominican Republic and, and um, Latin America has been stepping it up. Obviously you have Mena as the reigning cup Capcom cup champ. Um, and, and, you know, Kaba and players like that have, we wouldn't be super surprised if Kaba or Mena mm-hmm. uh, made it into top eight either. So, like, there's still a presence. But, yeah, it, it has been, you know, Asian winners overall um, for, for a lot of Street Fighter events as of late. Yeah. And, and uh, that's kind of what we're used to. I'd like to see a little bit more parity there. Uh, but I will say it's a lot of people are putting... The, the winners of Capcom Cup on the map. And and they're saying, like, you know, Knuckledew uh, was a winner in 2016, Mena RD was 2017. And these players are kind of being held up in a, in a way that we really haven't seen before. Like, usually it was kind of like the Evo winners are the number one players in the community. And we're kind of seeing a, a changing of the guard here. And, and most people are, are really associating uh, Knuckledew and, and Mena RD as the best players for that year. You know, for for when what they've accomplished, and you're mm-hmm. you're seeing. Hmm? Well, it also happens at the end of the year as opposed to the middle of right. it, so things don't change as much. Like that's the cap, and then the new season starts. So the person that was on top at the very end is probably going to be remembered a lot more. You know, if you if your movie comes out right before the Oscars, you have a lot more better a lot better of a chance at getting an Oscar than if it comes out like seven months before that. Right. You know, and and I also think this the whole you know hundreds of uh, thousands of dollars or a hundred thousand dollars holds right. a little bit of weight in there. It's like you win Evo and you've, you've got five bucks in your pocket, whatever. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, Shen. yeah. I, I, again, I know it's not that bad, but to me, Evo's always been a joke with their payouts. And it, it always has. And it, it's the Cannons and, and Wizard, they, they've really purposely tried to keep the money out of their event. Not that they turn it down, but they've they've gone out of their way a number of times and made statements over the years like, hey, we're not going to put money into the event. You know, it's, this is there for fun. Players can compete and stuff like that. But they've been pretty adamant about, you know, esports stuff kind of not 
not going. You know, and not th- that Evo is not going to be like a esports supportive event, like in terms of like people earning a lot of cash off it. I don't know if their the mentality has changed, but if you look at the payouts over the years of what Evo has done, that's been very consistent. And so if you're asking me as a player, like, what I'd rather win, it's like, I'd rather win E-League. I'd rather win Capcom Cup. Like, to hell with, like, the prestige or whatever that goes along with Evo. Yeah. And it is. I mean, Evo winning Evo is still a really big deal and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, look, I'd rather have the big deal of $100,000 in my pocket versus, you know, I get 5000 bucks or, or 7000 bucks for, for winning Evo. It's like, okay, great. Like, I've covered my, you know, travel fees and a bunch of other stuff, and I've got some prestige. <laughs> the times they are yes, changing. They are. Um, so anyway, uh, a couple other things here to finish up on on CEO because it was it was really a fun event. Uh, it ran a bit long. I think it ended at about two a.m. Eastern, uh, and I, I felt that was a little bit unfortunate for some of the players involved. But it's I figure with Jabali, he'll get it cleaned up again for next year and figure out you know how to get a little bit more timely with uh, with closing out things. But I thought the player intros, uh, specifically for Apology Man, Timo, and Kazunoko. Uh, that was the best uh, one, and that's saying something because yeah, there were some good yeah, ones. Yeah, it was just watching Kazunoko like on the ground, like doing the Yamcha pose, like of, of death and whatnot. Like was and just they had the overhead camera there, and that was like just so beautiful. And, and unfortunately, with the top eight going out how it was, like that was actually more hype than anything that happened in the gameplay. He won the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. won the whole thing, and it's like you know that I don't know if like you know there's a there a mystical karma force that helps you know decide like who's gonna win. You know, of course, there's nothing out there like that. You know, it comes down to skill. But I'll, I'm just going to pretend that there is. And, and it's like, yeah, Kazunoko deserved to win the Dragon Ball Fighters CEO tournament after that. Like, that was, he did that for Apology Man's intro, you know, kind of thing. Like, he did that for another player's intro just to, like, do it. And I'm like, oh, that was so amazing. So I, I love it. Yeah, a good event through and through, I think. Um, you know, we, we've focused obviously a lot about the negativity and such uh, thus far. But, but man, with, with it being that big and having that many games and such, uh, I think that it was absolutely a home run, and and you know, uh, tos like Jabali and like the Hado and and Alex Valle, I think they keep setting the the standard for FGC events higher and higher, yes. and it's uh, it's a good thing ultimately for the community. So. Looking forward to seeing how those kind of things play out over the next year and over the next five, ten years, yeah, too. It, the fact that we're talking about these little you know, details of what went wrong is, is a big indicator, again, of the overall quality. And there are a number of really great TOs in the you know, entire FGC that they just do this brilliant job. Uh, I'm very uh, fond of, of Yang Di, um, a cameraman uh, in the Singapore region. He He's uh, constantly working on things. John D at Capcom. Like, there's just, we can really name tons and tons of TOs that go out of their way to make sure their events are ran really really well, uh, great venues, great presences and all that kind of stuff. Uh, John D, I know, is very heavily involved with uh, E-League, uh, for example. So it's it, there's a ton of great stuff happening in the fighting game community. We're really talking about getting to a whole brand new level. Uh, it wasn't that long ago where there was a major tournament uh, in Vegas, this is not Evo. This is another tournament that no one probably ever really recalls. But uh, one of the the commentator guys had his cell phone like really close to the mic like the entire time, and it was like clicking like about every ten seconds. And he didn't fix it about until like four or five hours into the production, and it was not good. It was really not good. And, and again, those days are long behind us. And it's just we're really talking about high level stuff now. It's, just, it, it's a beautiful thing for the fighting game community. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, well, I think that's going to round us out for this episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Um, if you guys have anything that you want to ask us specifically, please leave comments. We will try to get to you and um, in future episodes, bring up your name if you want us to and, uh, and, and answer those questions. We, we fancy ourselves a little bit of, uh, of, of learned FGC kind of players and such. So anything that you're having trouble with or you would like us to talk about or investigate, uh, please don't hesitate to drop a comment either in the... Um, uh, probably the best place is just on the article online on Event Hubs, but you could do it too in the uh, the other avenues of, of you know Spotify and, and and all the places that you could listen to this. We'll check those and and um, try to acknowledge everybody that we can. Um, yeah. And that's all I have to say about yeah. that. John, I want to go back. You said you, you consider yourself learned and like educated and stuff like that. I consider myself the total opposite. So if you want a question answered by a total idiot who's just not like aware of anything <laughs> he's really doing and stuff, just ask me. I'm happy to address it. And yeah, so there we go. Yeah, but you're a Monop player. You can see the future and all that stuff. So there's there's a little more to it than that. But uh, <laughs> all right, guys, we will uh, we will catch you. I've been John Velociraptor Guerrero, and with me El Presidente John Catalyst Gray. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you guys. <laughs>